Praise the Lord. If you would turn in your Bibles, Proverbs 29, verse 18. Proverbs 29, verse 18. Praise the Lord. There it is. Wow. (laughs) She's got a few of them. We're going to try it out. I had to be here early this morning. I usually don't write my scriptures down for her, but... I was here early this morning, so I figured I'd try it. Praise the Lord. Here's what it says in the New International Version. I'm going to read a few different versions of this just to give you a good feel for what this says here. Very important that we understand from the original language, what are they trying to say here, okay? Now listen to this very carefully. It says, where there is no revelation, it's a revelation of God, right? People cast off restraint, but blessed is the one who heeds wisdom, wisdom's instruction. King James Version says this, Where there is no vision, the people perish, but he that keeps the law, happy is he. They're trying to interpret these Hebrew words to give you a good feeling of what God's trying to say here. English Standard Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. But blessed is he who keeps the law. New American Standard, where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained. But happy is he who keeps the law. Do you see what's happening here? In every one of these versions, it talks about a person who because of their knowledge of God is lacking. They don't have knowledge of God and they decided not to have, retain God in their knowledge, they're unrestrained. They have no restraint. And you know, a lot of people, how many know people that say, I don't want to be restrained by God? I don't want God to restrain the way I think, the way I behave, the way I act. And this message is all about that attitude. God unrestrain me. And God has a reason to restrain you. And that's what we're going to talk about today. It says, happy is the person. This is the opposite of the one that casts their restraint off. How many have ever had a time in your life where you've cast off restraint from God? And said, no more will God restrain me with his, you know, his rules and his laws. And, and I don't want to be restrained. I want to be what I want to be, do what I want to do. And I want to just cast it off. I've been there a time in my life. And so God is addressing this very subject today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, right now, Lord, I pray for this message, Lord. Open eyes, open hearts, Lord God. Father, let people get real with you, Lord God. This isn't just a day to show up at church and play the game, Lord. The day to evaluate our lives because it may be our last day on this earth, Lord. Some may not make it through the week. Some may not make it through the month. Let's get real, Lord. In your name I pray. Amen. Praise the Lord. The title of my sermon, and I don't want you to get this wrong, this is part two of my heart of worship. But specifically, Ryan, you listening? Specifically, the title of this message is Crash Dummy. Crash Dummy. Now, I don't want you to get the wrong idea. I'm not calling anybody a dummy here, okay? Even though I'm going to get into they profess themselves to be wise, which makes them a fool. I could apply it to that, but I'm not calling anybody a dummy here. A crash dummy, I want you to think about it a little bit. 
How many remember when you were a kid and there were no restraints in a car? You could uh, freely move around the back seat. You could stick your head, pop up to the front seat. Kids regularly, you'd have a station wagon. They'd be all the way in the back. How many remember those days? It wasn't long ago. 70s and before, you could pretty well be unrestrained in a car. And today what I'm going to do is I'm going to make you understand a spiritual point that we, if you don't get this today, you're going to perish. And so I've got a real serious business here. This isn't just a message, just not another Sunday. These are God-ordained appointments. If I don't get this message across today, you may perish forever. And so I've got to get this message across. If somebody is playing around, talking to their neighbor, I may just call somebody out today. Because I've got to get this message here today. It's more important than that turkey that's sitting in that smoker, that beautiful golden turkey. It's full of all kinds of goodness, apples. Oh, I'm going to go into that. Yeah, I'm not going to. See, I just threw myself off track. But when you're in that car pre-70s, you're unrestrained and you're at extreme risk. When we were riding around in the back of pickup trucks, and we'd take the whole baseball team in the back of that pickup truck to get ice cream, you were unrestrained. You were in serious danger. So they develop what's called a crash dummy. And the crash dummy was designed to find a way to protect somebody and restrain them. So what they do is strap the dummy in the car and they would crash into a wall, simulating as much as possible what an automobile accident looks like. They're simulating the terror of being in an accident. And you know, the odds of us being in an accident, there's a decent percentage, but it's not anything like the crash I'm talking about. The crash I want to talk about today is the wrath of God, the judgment that's going to be put upon every man. There is a crash that is coming And if you're not restrained and you're not ready and you're not, and there's not safety precautions taken, you're going to be wiped out. You will not survive this crash. And you say, well, why do you have to talk about danger? Why do you have to talk about it being hard on me to go through this crash? Because the Bible says I have to. It said he died so that you wouldn't have to perish. It says he restrained you so you wouldn't have to feel the effects of sin. And so God wants me to stress there is danger ahead, serious danger. And you say, what is salvation? Let me give you a definition of salvation. Something extremely dangerous is about to happen, and you're going to be saved from it. That's salvation. A seriously dangerous situation is in front of you, and God wants to spare you from it. He wants to save you from it. He wants you to release you from it, pull you from it. And what these safety dummies would do is they put a restraint across their chest, smash into the wall. Well, how much damage was done to this dummy? All right, again, I'm not calling anybody a dummy. Restraint was put around the waist. Restraint put around the chest, smash into the wall. How's the dummy? Take notes. 
Here's what the dummy, here's the head, here's the chest, here's the torso. Well, we better start recommending chest and torso. Baby seats, crash dummy. Smash into the wall, effects on the baby. Smash into the wall, effects on the baby. Smash into the wall. Well, let's recommend this. Airbags. Smash into the wall, airbags. Write it down. Smash into the wall, side airbags. Write it down. You get the point. It's trying to protect you from danger. And as I begin to look at the Bible, I want you to turn to Romans chapter 1. Now remember my scripture I started with, where there is no revelation of God, the people cast off their restraints. I want to tell you how smart a dummy is. A dummy will wear a restraint. Some of us say, well, I don't know, I don't want a restraint. I don't want to wear a restraint in my car. It doesn't matter how many times that dummy smashed into the wall, I'm willing to smash into the wall without my restraint. And you know, spiritually, some of you are the same way. But I'm not calling anybody a dummy. But the Bible says they say they're wise and they become the greatest fools that there ever were. Romans chapter 1, verse 24, it says, Therefore is the first word. So that means I have to pay close attention to the verses that are before that, right? He's saying, because of what he just said, this is the case, okay? Whatever happened before verse 24, he says, God gave them over to their sinful desire. Is that scary? God gave them up. God abandoned them to go the direction they wanted to go. Do you see what just happened? Man took a restraint off. He took the restraint off, even though the crash is ahead. And I'm not just talking about the crash that's going to happen when you die. I'll get into it in a moment, but it starts off in verse 18. It says, God's wrath is being revealed. It doesn't say one day it will be revealed. It's saying it is being revealed because of this behavior. So that means if you take a restraint off of your life, judgment is happening now. In fact, I think a lot of the depression that we're suffering in this nation has to do with a restraint being taken off your life and saying, God, I don't want to retain you in my knowledge. So we pull one restraint off of our life and we say, hey, I want to be as sexually free as I can possibly be. Fornication which a lot of you don't know that old language, let me explain it. It's sex before marriage, outside of marriage. Sex outside of marriage is a sin. All right, I'm sorry to use the big word. I won't use fornication again. I'll just say sex before marriage. We pull that restraint off and we say everybody else is doing it. I don't want to retain God in my knowledge. And then we find things like sexually transmitted diseases. We start seeing unwanted pregnancies which end up in the murder of a human being's life. And all I'm saying here, and I don't want, 
I want, I want you to understand what I'm saying is when that restraint willingly comes off and we say, I don't want God in my life, it says wrath is being revealed by God from heaven now. That means whatever decision you just made, I'm not here to badger you on the decision or the consequences. What I'm here to do is help you have a restrainer on you. Something that, that, uh, God can help you not make those choices and not receive the wrath from those choices. How many know that sexually transmitted diseases are a mercy thing? You said, that's an awful thing you just said, Pastor. That's an awful thing you just said. What is the only restrainer right now from people having just un... I was, that was actually a rhetorical question. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm messing with you. I'm messing with you. But think about it. Is it a restrainer from promiscuous lifestyle? If we didn't have roadblocks in front of us, if right now murder wasn't illegal in this country, what do you think would happen? If sexually transmitted diseases weren't in existence, what would the world look like? If AIDS were not in existence, HIV were not in existence, they're roadblocks, they're merciful things that say, hey, this is really bad physically for your life, but hell is even worse. Losing your soul for eternity is even worse than the sexually transmitted diseases you're experiencing right now. But if you know Christ and you have eternity, we can live with the sexually transmitted diseases, but I've got to get my life right. With God, that's the big question. God puts merciful things in front of us. You know, bankruptcy is an act of mercy. If I'm not disciplined and I have no restraint with my money, and I just blow it on everything I can't afford, one act of mercy to make me think about my behavior is bankruptcy. And you say, man, these are awful things to go through, and that's why God tries to restrain us. Anger, do you know that God wants to restrain us in our anger So he offers us a a fruit of the Spirit, which is self-control. But if we decide we don't want his restraint and I want to be as angry as I want to be, you're going to get in trouble. And that trouble is an act of mercy. That time you spend in prison for assaulting somebody or domestic battery, how many know that's an act of mercy? God's stepping in and saying, you're going the wrong direction. Justice, the Bible says, get this, is for the unrighteous. Justice is for the unrighteous. I mean, if they lock me up, that's for my benefit. God's trying to turn me around. God's trying to change my life. But it says, Connie, that's how much I go off my notes, if you haven't noticed. (laughs) I haven't even got into my notes yet. I'm sorry. It says, God gave them over to their sinful desires of their hearts. to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator. who was forever praised. Amen. Now he says, because of this, another one of those statements like, therefore, because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. The second God gave them over. So first he gave them over to sinful desires. Now he gave them over to their own lusts. That means I'm going to let you go. 
I'm going to let you have what you want, but I want to restrain you. I want to hold you back from what you want because I love you and I care about you and I don't want you to suffer and I want you to be blessed and I want you to live with me forever and I don't want you to be depressed. I don't want you to be addicted. I don't want you to walk through life with pain. But I'm giving you up. Can I tell you one of the biggest lies in the world today and you're going to think I'm teaching something false here, but I'm not. I've been told my whole life that we have free will. That I can do whatever I want and I'm free to do whatever I want. You say, well, just watch me. I can do whatever I want. Okay. If I steal, am I free to steal whatever I want? Yes. I've got perfect freedom to steal, but... If I get caught, that was not freedom because I'm going to pay the price. Am I free to kill somebody? Yes. I can kill somebody, but the minute I get caught, that's not freedom. You say, well, can I do whatever I want because I'm my own person? Yes. But... You don't have freedom if you have to pay the consequences. And God promises that one out of every one person will pay the consequences for their sin. The Bible says it clearly that we will pay. So do we have free will? Yes, do what you want. But no, we have to pay consequences. We're not free. The Bible says, do you not know that your body was bought with a price? You are not your own. God has a design on what you should be and know you are not free to do whatever you want. If you do, there are consequences. He has a plan and a purpose for your life. And if you reject it, there are consequences to pay. We've been told wrong. We've been told our whole life, I can do whatever I want, be my own person, fashion my own life the way I want to do it, way I, 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 I. And the problem is... We're sitting on a throne that was never ours to sit on. It was the God of heaven's throne. Our bodies are not our own. It was bought with a price. Well, I reject that. If you reject that, you reject eternal life. Let me know that. Hard message for Christmas. In fact, let me start my message. This is my introduction. Christmas. How many... uh, How many really wish you could just go to church and it was just a happy pat you on the back, tell you everything's great? I don't want that. I hope you don't want that. I hope you don't want that. I want somebody to tell me the truth. We got enough people. Just flip on your TV at home. You can see a smiling preacher. He's making so much money on his book deal, driving fancy cars. He'll give you that message. I'm not giving you the message. I'm giving you good stuff, good and hard stuff. Okay, that's what life is really about. How many know life is real? Life isn't a little fairy tale. I'm going to sit up here and tell you it's real, and i got to tell you the truth, all right? Introduction. The coming of Christ versus the leaving of Christ. At Christmas, the message that we always hear is the coming of our Savior to this world. 
the coming of our Savior to this world. What a glorious, glorious message that He came and did not leave us here to perish. And we hear so much about the baby and coming to the baby and loving uh, Jesus Christ as the Lord and the Savior of our life, but this message is about leaving Him. This message is He's there He's reaching out His hand. He's died for you. He's done everything for us. He has a plan and a purpose. He's paid the price. And we're walking away. This is us leaving God to the point that He gives us up. How many know that God can give you up? God can see the direction you're going. I've read two of them. It says, God gave them over to their sinful desires... They exchanged sexual, they, they gave their hearts over to sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity, degrading their bodies with one another. They exchanged truth for a lie, worshiped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women, listen to this, even their women exchanged natural relationships with unnatural ones. Well, what can you be talking about there? See, do I go with the LGBT version or do I go with the real version? All right, I will. Because that could mean anything, right? Let's see if he clarifies. The women left their natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Then the men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Church, let me be very clear here. It uses an example. This is talking about when God, he says three times, I'm going to get to the third one in a minute. Three times he gives them up because of their behavior. And the one example that he gives when they get to the point where God gives them up is homosexual activity. And you say, man, why are you bringing that up? Because God does. Because God brings it up, it is a marker. It is a marker for a nation. When a nation gets to the point where the women are no longer interested in men, and the men are no longer interested in women, but their sexual perversion has gone so deep in a society that it's men with men, women with women, doing the thing that God says is abominable, that is a marker that says... It's gone to an extreme that we cannot tolerate anymore. And you say, well, why does it use it as that example? Why does it use other ones? Aren't all sins the same? Evidently they're not because the other ones weren't listed here. You're saying that sins are different? No, I'm saying all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. In that sense, they're the same. But in the sense of a society that is an abomination... And God has given them up. That is the marker. Homosexual activity in a nation is a marker that it is about to be destroyed. Look it up all through the Bible. You say, why? Because that was the ultimate idolatry. And I'm going to show you why before the end of this message. It's the ultimate sign of idolatry in the Bible when it gets to that point in a society. And church, I'm going to tell you right now, we're there. 
Where there is a nation, and you better have no part of it. If you're one of those people that walks around and says it's okay and you can be a Christian, you're wrong, and I'll show you why. You give me a few hours. I'll show you so much Bible your head will spin. You say, well, the LGBT has Bible study too. The LGBT doesn't know the Bible from anything. They don't know the Bible. I've seen their studies, and it's terrible, terrible, terrible scholarship. It's somebody that's never read a Bible except they, 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 they take a few scriptures here and they take a few scriptures there. They say, well, the law of Moses, if you take this, you take that. This proceeds long before the law of Moses. All right, this, this goes all the way back to the garden. It goes all the way back to Sodom and Gomorrah. Church, we will not support that. You say, well, if you had a family member that was close, you would have a different opinion. My younger brother believes he's married to another man. You say, do you hate him? No. I love my younger brother like he's my own son. I weep over my younger brother. You say, well, what do you do? Do you just accept it? Church, I don't. I love my, I've told my, I've loved my brother so much, I can't accept that. You say, well, what do you do for Thanksgiving? My brother is not allowed to be there with his so-called husband at Thanksgiving. You say, well, how could you do that? How could you be so cruel? How could you be so mean? Because I will not allow somebody to do that in my presence that is wrong to God. You say, well, do you allow somebody that's not married to be at your house? A man and a woman can be together at my house. If that man and woman fornicates at my house, they're out. All right? If they're committing adultery in my house, they're out. If they're with another man, they're out. Do you see where the line is crossed? If somebody is a drug addict, they come to my house. If they're snorting lines in my bathroom, you're out. Do you understand what sin is? Do I love the person he's with? Yes, I do. In any other context, that person I will love, I will talk to, I will say hi to, I'll be nice to. When it's a situation where they're married, I do not accept that. But as soon as you walk around the corner alone, you're my best friend. I don't accept sin. Church, we've tolerated sin for so long, you don't even know how to stand up to it anymore. This is not my notes. Forget the notes. We've tolerated sin for too long. You're afraid to stand up and say that's wrong when a drag queen is going to your library reading children's stories and we're not standing outside protesting that something's wrong. Are you afraid to stand up for God? Are you afraid to stand up for God? This is idolatry that is all through the Bible that God was frustrated with. I don't even want to hear jokes about homosexuality anymore. It's an abomination to God. It's destroying our nation. The restraints are going off and we're like a crash dummy about to hit the wall. When judgment comes on a nation, it comes on all of us, church. And you say, do you hate them? I love them with all of my heart. Church, every person that I've ever known that is homosexual, I love them. I talk to them. I live with them, but I don't allow the sin in my presence. I'm not going to allow my kids to sit at Thanksgiving with two men holding hands. 
And if you think that's unloving, then you've never been a loving dad before. You've never been a loving dad who wants to see his children live for the Lord. Church, we're going to have to be strong on these. We're going to have to love the world with all of our heart. But we're also with that going to have to stand up to sin. I hate marijuana. Well, Chad, that's marijuana is so mild. I grew up in a home where marijuana was a regular thing for my father. Can I tell you something? Marijuana was the worst. It was the worst because we didn't have any money. We didn't have anything to eat. But boy, everything feels good. Everything just feels perfect. Everything feels comfortable. I, I mean, I just feel so passive right now. I'm like, we don't have any food. We don't have any money. Things aren't good right now. You're 400% more likely to steal. I don't like drugs. You say, do you take drugs for a sickness? Yeah, but I don't take it for recreation. Yeah, prescribe me a medicine because you're a doctor and you've tested these things, assumed, I'm assuming you've tested it, and give me the right amount. If there's something in a marijuana plant that's beneficial, extract it and get rid of all the other junk. All right? I'm sorry, am I too real? Church, we got to start taking a stand. If I'm smoking weed, how am I going to get people off the weed? How am I going to keep them from going through the door and getting all... I mean, I grew up around crack cocaine. I grew up around... And I've got people in my family that are heroin addicts. How can I possibly show them freedom? How can I show them freedom if I'm smoking weed? I know you feel good and I know everything feels just right. But you're a bad witness and you're going to win a single person to the Lord and you're pulling restraints off your life that you'll never get back. How can I minister freedom to a homosexual when I'm hooked on pornography? I hate it when I go off my notes. Don't you? Church, we've got to get serious, serious, serious about sin. You say, is... Am, am I going to hell if I'm, if I'm hooked on pornography? You're going to hell if it doesn't bother you. God can deliver you from it, but we've got to get to work, church. God's about to judge this nation, and we're doing the same things that the world's doing. And God says, when they don't have a revelation of God, they pull off the restraints. They pull off the restraints. Now I want you to see, let me read the rest of this in Romans. Turns out I did need this podium. I should not have swung it away. I got emotional. Let me bring this back. I'm sorry. Very humbling for me to bring this back. (laughs) Church, I love you. And I really want to say, if my brother is listening to this, I hope he is. I love him with all my heart. I've told him I don't know how many times I love him with all my heart, but I cannot accept that for his life. Let me tell you a little testimony here. My brother was one of the sweetest, most intelligent. My wife will back me up on this, won't you? Probably that kid would do Bible studies at school, sweet, kind, intelligent, never would cuss in his entire life, never would 
ever smoke a cigarette or drink or anything, his personality almost overnight changed. Almost overnight. The person I knew his whole life changed. Suddenly he had the foulest mouth you would ever see. Suddenly he drank so much alcohol, it it was unbelievable. Suddenly drugs were even a part of it. Suddenly the niceness that he had his whole life was gone. And I'm trying to find the person still that I grew up with. I mean, oh, that's a spirit. Did I just hear music? There's something in my head. And church, I don't want, I don't mind the fact that he went in that lifestyle. That, that's not hands off for me. That's not the end of the world for me. That's, not, that's something that God is perfectly able to restore my brother. My brother has a call to ministry. And I believe my brother will be in the ministry. I'm not letting go of the call of God on his life because they're without repentance. But I love him too much to accept him as a gay man. You say, man, you're awful, Pastor. That's against everything I believe. It agrees with the Bible. God did not create my brother to be that way. God did not create my brother to have that lifestyle. Praise God. I'm going to go a little further here. I'm going to show you why that's true. It says, furthermore, this is verse 28. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. They become filled with every kind of wickedness. And there's a list. Wickedness, evil, greed, depravity, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, they are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these things, but they approve of those who practice them. Does that sound like the world we live in? Man, this thing's all over the place. Right there. All right. So the pulling away of restraints. In fact, let me give you a few scriptures. It says in 2 Timothy 3.12, Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving And being deceived. Do you see what happens when restraints are pulled off? They go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Both. You see when the restraints go off of your life and you say, God, I don't want to retain you, it just starts going downhill. It's the descent of man from God. Christmas is the coming of man to God and God coming to us. Sinful lifestyle is the pulling away from God and God pulling away from us. 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 to 6 says, Now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of the Lord and our gathering together with Him, that you not be quickly shaken from your composure, be disturbed either by the Spirit or a message or a letter as if it was from us to the effect of the day of the Lord has come. So he's talking about the Lord coming. Let no one deceive you, for it will not... Come unless the apostasy comes first. Does anybody know what apostasy is? That means a falling away from faith. There will be a great falling away in the last days. 
And it says the apostasy will come first, then the man of lawlessness, that's the Antichrist, um, man of lawlessness will be revealed, the son of destruction. So a great apostasy will come, people will fall away from the faith, Antichrist will come, the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself above God in every... um, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God and object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. Do you not remember that while I was still with you, I was telling you these things? And you know what restrains him now, so that in his time he will be revealed? It says that the Antichrist cannot come until the person who restrains is gone. How many know that? We've got an individual restrainer in our life, whereas if I begin to reject God, and I reject God, and I reject God, I pull a restraint off of myself every time. And you know what happens when restraints come off of me? I get the deception that I can do whatever I want. There's there's also, and I'm going to read here in a second, there's the restraints that are put on nations. And when nations begin to reject God, the restraints are removed, and then God says, I'll let them go. He tells Ephraim, let them go. They're connected to idols. Let them go. And so he pulls the restraints. In fact, one place he says, I tore their hedge down that protected them. And the restraints come off of a nation. And then one day, get this, one day, that's saying the restraints will come off of the world. Like right now, God is protecting the world from something. And one day, there's going to be a rapture of the church. There's going to be a restrainer that's removed. All of those prayers of the saints, all of those people that prayed for God to help this sin-sick world, one day the restraints are going to come off this world. And the Bible says in Revelation chapter 9, I'm not going to read it, you can go there, but it says hell will be opened up. And every demon in hell will flood this earth. There will be a time on this earth like no time that we have ever seen because all the restraints will be gone. Do you understand what it's like to know that God is holding us and it's the only thing that's holding us up out of hell right now? And we keep smacking God's hand. We keep slapping God's face. We keep saying, God, I don't want you in my life. I don't need you. I don't love you. I don't want anything to do with you. And we're running away from God. And God's saying, I'm the only thing holding you out of judgment right now. I'm going to love you as long as I possibly can. But eventually, God, just let's go. He's done everything he can to reach us. And at some point, he just lets go. And all the restraints are gone. You say, finally, I'm free. Finally, I'm free from God. Finally, I'm free from God. And God said, you just got what you wanted. Eternity without me. Eternity without me. And God's saying, don't do that. Christmas is about embracing God. Christmas is about actually seeing God and saying, God, I want you as part of my life. But you have to see what happens in Romans here. Let me give you four things that happens in Romans that you have to be really careful about. Number one, I pointed out in verse 18. The 18 is the, uh, remember when I said that it said, therefore, this is why God gave them up three times? 
18 to 24 is the reasons why he gave them up. Okay, look at 18, verse 1 of Romans. It says, now listen very carefully to this. There's four things in here you need to pick up in Romans 1. It says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godliness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Now you have to notice that wrath is being poured out now. Sometimes we make the mistake of thinking wrath is coming, but wrath is being poured out. And it's being poured out on those who suppress the truth by their wickedness. How do you suppress the truth? If you're in a court of law and they suppress evidence, what does that mean? That means that that evidence, even though it's there and it's in existence, that evidence can't be used for some reason. Like maybe the way that they collected the evidence or maybe the, that it's not relevant to the case. There's certain things in a legal case that are held back and cannot be used in that case. It's called suppressing evidence. Okay? So what happens when you suppress the truth in your wickedness? That means I knew that God was not pleased with this behavior, but I moved forward anyway and acted like I didn't know it. Let me warn everybody today. You say, well, you're just trying to get people, members of your church. or No, I'm trying to save your life today. I'm trying to save every person here's life today. I don't care if you give me money or you don't give me money. I don't care if you love me or you hate me. I care about your life. Everybody here, I can't do anything myself to help you. My kids, you're going to stand before the throne of God and I can't be there to plead your case. I can't be there to help you. I can't be there to help you live your life for God. I can't be there to keep you out of hell. All I can do is give you a message and hope that you wake up to the truth. But it says you suppress the truth in unrighteousness. I know what's right, but I don't want it. I'm bypassing that, and I'm going to live the way I want to live. This is the first step. And it says, Since what may be known about God is plain to them, Because God made it plain to them, for since the creation of the world, His invisible qualities, eternal power, and divine nature are clearly seen and understood by what has been made, so that men are without excuse. Here's the first step. Revelation. God reveals Himself to every man. So it says every person, man, woman, you're without excuse. That means I'm going to have to suppress the truth about who God is in order to live the life of running away from God. And so the Bible says every man has a revelation. So it says you can look at the sky. In fact, at your youngest age, how many know you had a a moment where you thought you were going to die, and what's the first thing you would say? Oh, my God. Oh, God, help me. Oh, God, do this for me. Oh, God, do that for me. Bleep, bleep, bleep. I know that's wrong. I steal somebody's stuff. I know that's wrong. I hurt somebody. I get angry at somebody. I know that's wrong. Do you understand? This is the divine nature of God revealed to every human being. We know what's right and wrong, don't we? We know that there's a God in heaven because we've been crying out to Him since we were a child. 
We know that there's a God in heaven. Every society we've ever dug up out of the ground was trying to worship God. How is that possible? Unless God put it inside of us. God put eternity in our hearts. So we have a revelation. The first thing that God does is gives you the revelation. And if you reject God after having a revelation, then you move to the next step. And the next step is... For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. They exchanged the glory of an immortal God for images. Do you understand, church? We have a revelation of God, and if I reject that, The next step is rationalization. That means in my mind I say to myself, there is a God, but I don't want Him. And I am wiser than God. This is where the crash dummy comes in. You're heading for a crash and you, I'm not calling you a dummy, but the Bible says you become wise at this point and you become a real fool. This is where we say, and I've done this. How many have done this? I know better than God about my life. I can live my life the way I want to be. I can do what I want to do. I can fashion my own religion. My religion looks like this. My religion looks like that. Well, have you ever asked God what it's supposed to look like? Because you can't make your own religion. I talked about last week, the alternative places of worship they began to build that were idol worshiping. And we rationalize. We get intelligent in our mind and we throw away the clear expectation of God in our life and we say, I don't like that. And this is the second step. First, it's revelation I reject. Now it's I reject anything you have to say in my life. Do you notice that first scripture I read when they cast off the revelation of God? They have no restraints on them. And then it says, but the person that obeys God is happy. Well, this person has now rejected the revelation of God. Now they're rationalizing that I know better than God. Here's the next step. The next step is... Oh, actually, I went to the third step. second step is they reject God. The third step is rationalization. And you're going to be very surprised what the fourth step is. Religion. So, I have a revelation of God. I reject that revelation. I rationalize in my mind I know better than God. Do you know what an insult that is to say that I know better than God? God says this is good for your life. This is the right way to live. You should get up in the morning and want to live right. But we say, no, I want to live wrong. And we reject Him. And the next natural step is religion. You say, well, I thought religion was good. Religion is this, and this is why, this is why, and I'm going to explain this real clearly so you understand. This is why the homosexual act is the one that is the ultimate one that pushes a society over the edge. Because man begins to take what God created, okay, and they begin to go against the Creator, And the purest form is that you made me a man, you made me a woman, but
but I will be whatever I want to be. Um, God made me a man, but I have the right to be whatever identity I want to be. God, what you created me is not what I want to be. I want to be what I want to be. I don't have to be male. I don't have to be female. And you go against the Creator, and basically what you do is from the very, very first act in the Bible, you've already begun to recreate who God is. And you understand you begin to fashion God into your own image that you want. And you begin to say, well, God, um, you created male and female for a purpose, but I'm going to, from the very beginning, the very first words of the Bible, I'm changing it. I can be whatever I want to be. Yeah, I know that you created me to fit with a female. You know what I'm saying? But I'm going to refashion this. I'm going to make my own little idol. My idol says... I can worship God with this idol, and this idol looks like however I want it to look like. Let's throw out all the natural intent, the tendencies of why God created. Let's throw it out. Let's fashion my own God. Well, now that I've got my own God, this attitude, I'm going to fashion that attitude in here. I can get angry anytime I want. I don't care what God says. I can use profanity anytime I want. I don't care what God says. I can use drugs anytime I want. I don't care what God says. I can worship whatever day I want to worship. I want to do it how I want to worship. I can set my own structure up of, of who my leaders are. And do you understand by the time you're done, you have an idol that looks nothing like what God intended. And that's why idolatry is the ultimate of all sins because I've just recreated God and it looks nothing like the real God. And God's saying that's what man has done from the very beginning. This is a summary of man's behavior. They run from God, they run from God, they run from God. They fashion their own God and they worship it and they say this is God. And God's looking at America and he's saying, wait a minute. That doesn't look anything like my word. It doesn't look anything like my plan, my purpose. And God just says to himself, just go. Just go. Do you know God's in pain? And God painfully says, if that's what you want, if you don't want me, if you want to keep rejecting me, rejecting me and rejecting me and rejecting me, just go on and do it. And that's the saddest thing in the Bible. He just gives them up. And this word is very interesting, the giving them up. Do you understand religion, though? Religion Religion is fashioning my own God that pleases me. You'll see religious systems all over this country. Come in here, say a few Hail Marys. I just touched everything today, didn't I? Say a few Hail Marys, throw a little holy water, do some kind of ritual. God's saying, no, no, that's, that's not what my word says. I actually want a relationship with you. I want you to know me. I want you to love me. The only thing I'm going to say is, go away from me. I don't know you. That's the criteria. It's not going to say how many Hail Marys to say. He's going to say, do you know me or do you not? Right? God's saying, that's not what it's supposed to look like. That's religion. He said, I want to know you. Where did this religion thing come from? Well, I fashioned it because I felt like it was the best way to do it. Well, I didn't ask you. God says, I didn't ask you. I gave you my word so you wouldn't have input on it. You know, but I could do it my own way because this America. We do it our own way. and We're all our own person. And No, that's how God says to do it. God says, don't make an image for that reason. First commandment is, 
No other gods before me. Don't make a graven image. The reason why is he doesn't want us fashioning our own religion. He wants what he says to be the law, and we be obedient to that. Who's that? <clears throat> I'm about to close. I'm sorry. This giving them over. Okay, I could go through several scriptures here in the Bible. But every time that Greek word is used, giving them over, it's always a person being delivered to the authorities for judgment. It's when Jesus was delivered by Judas uh, to the soldiers. It was the same word that was used in multiple places when he tells the parable of the man that was forgiven his sins and uh, that he should forgive or he would be taken you know, basically by the authorities. That same word is used. It's a word that means... I'm turning you over for judgment. And so when God gives us up and we throw the restraints off, we may feel a certain freedom that I'm finally free from God. But the problem is, here they come. Here come the tormentors. Here come the ones that can destroy your life. You say, man, it feels so good to be away from God and away from all restraints. And God says, no. No, I wanted to protect you. In fact, just picture Jesus looking at Jerusalem and crying. Said Jerusalem, Jerusalem. How I wanted to just take you under my wing and care for you. And you know that's what he says to every human being that just casts him off. How I wanted to hold you. How I wanted to gather you in. How I wanted to love you. How I wanted to bless you. How I wanted on Christmas. You said, man, this is the craziest Christmas message I've ever heard. But this might be the most truthful one you've ever heard. There's no fluff here. This isn't candy canes and stockings. All right? Santa will tell you. This is a real message here. Christmas. God wants us to really, really draw close to Him and love Him. He wants us to see what He's done for us and love Him and care for Him and draw close to Him. Praise the Lord. Worship team. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Curtis, would you turn the lights down? Thank you. Praise the Lord. I'm just going to pray right now. Church, do not wait for an altar call. I'm so sick of altar calls. You say, why are you sick of altar calls? Because I have to beg you to get right with God. Why should I have to beg you to get right with God? Why do you care what these people think? It's time to start caring about eternity. It's time to quit playing church games. If you're not right with the Lord, find a place up here and start repenting. Okay, let's start changing the way we do church. I'm so tired of the formalities. Do I have to beg you to come up here and get right with the Lord? If you're not right with the Lord, you could be, you could perish for eternity. Do you understand that? You could perish for eternity. You, you don't have tomorrow promise. You don't have next week promise. You don't have the next hour promise, okay? You don't have another moment. I'm not going to sit here and beg people to raise their hand and try to squint and see whose hand is raised. If you've got to get right with God, if you're backslidden, if you don't feel like you're in the right place, find a place up here. If you need prayer, find one of us. Okay, we're eager to help you. I've been in the same place you're all in. Okay, I don't come from a family of preachers. I come from a family that had drug addiction and alcoholism and fistfights. Okay, I know what it means. I want to help you get right with the Lord this morning. You say, well, wait a minute. I just want to coast through this and eat something at 5 o'clock. That's religion. I'm sorry. You're here today and you need to get right with God. You don't even need me. 
say, well, why do we pay you anything? I don't know. I really don't know. I'm just happy you do. The Bible says if you'll confess your sins, He's faithful and just to forgive you of all your sins and all your unrighteousness. He can clean you up today. They call that scripture the bar of soap. The bar of soap. And I just want you to get in here and just lather up. Wash me of all my unrighteousness. Wash me of this life. He said, man, I've done some bad things. He'll wash it. He'll make you completely clean. You say, you've probably been righteous your whole life. No, I haven't. I was a bad person. I'm still not the greatest person, but I'm forgiven. I'm still getting up every day trying to do everything I can to live for the Lord now. Say, but you're perfect. No, I'm not perfect. I just know my Savior. Get up every morning. I thank God for forgiving me. Praise the Lord. Stand your feet this morning. I'm going to pray. You need to find a place up here. We've got one up here already. That's the most honest guy in the church right now. Praise the Lord. Not that you guys aren't honest. We got it. We got to get right. We got to get real, don't we? Praise God. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you for this word, Lord. We thank you for this church. Lord, we thank you that you we thank you that you love us so much, Lord. That you would just cry out to us, Lord God. Lord, that you wouldn't give us a moment where you weren't crying out for us, Lord. Lord, that you wouldn't give us, you put so many roadblocks and so many merciful things in front of us, Lord God. Oh, Father, you don't want to give us up to that life, Lord. You put roadblocks in front of us, Lord. Lord, I just pray, Lord God, that every person in here, Lord, Lord, their mom, their dad can't save them. The brother, their sister can't save them. Lord, I can't do anything to save them. Only you can save them, Lord God. Oh, Lord, let there be a realness in this house. Let every person here, Lord, know where they stand in eternity, Lord. Oh, deal with every heart right now, Lord God. Hallelujah. These altars are open. I want to pray with you today. Anything you need prayer for. Salvation, healing, deliverance. Praise the Lord. In the culture that we live in, both within our nation and increasingly so, in our churches the God of tolerance has been rising tolerance has been the the ultimate attribute that people praise tolerance has become equal to grace even sometimes within our church terminology. You won't find that word tolerance in the Bible. God does not tolerate sin. Grace is so much higher than tolerance. Grace is God's heart breaking for us because He loves us so much that He could not tolerate our sin and He sent His Son to be the sacrifice in our place. We cannot buy this lie of the enemy 
that if we are intolerant of sin, that that is awful. That's to be condemned. That's that's the word that the enemy is bringing against the church, against God, against the scriptures to say you are intolerant. Let us look rather to our Lord and our Savior and walk in His grace which identifies sin as sin and lovingly comes in to confront it and to bring His release from the stranglehold of sin. Hallelujah. Church, I'm going to close here. Let me tell you something that's really important to me. I was at a uh, pastor's uh, a conference up at the district, and uh, there was a young lady there that runs Teen Challenge in Kentucky. And uh, she was like best friends with my brother when they were in school, and she said, how's he doing? And uh, I just started bawling. Just couldn't quit crying. So everybody... All my pastor friends are around. Don't want to break down in that situation, but let me tell you something. I love that young man as much as anybody in this world. So when you're out there and you're ministering to people that are in lifestyles, she's she said it very well. Tolerance is not the same as grace. And we believe in grace and we believe in mercy. And we believe in loving people. So they shouldn't ever have a feeling that you don't like them or you don't love them with all of your heart. But, she's right, we have to stand up for what's right if we really love people. And I'm telling you, I weep and I cry for years for my brother. I want you guys to know that. I'm not just saying it's wrong. I don't have a hateful bone in my body towards it. But it's my love that makes me call it out. It's my love that makes me take a stand. Do you know that I weep love them, but we got to stand up if we love them for the truth. we got to live our lives the right way for the truth. If we're ever going to win them, they're slipping away. They're slipping away and I can't, I can't. It makes me not sleep well and you know that. Our days are numbered. We've got a lot to do. We've got a lot more prayers that need to be going up, church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, make this church, Lord, a praying church. Church, Lord, a church of action, Lord. Lord, a church of love, Lord God, that no matter how strong we stand, love is our banner. Love, Lord, is our banner, Lord. Not hate, not meanness, not bitterness, Lord, but love, Lord God. Love for the truth, Lord God. Love for our brothers and sisters, Lord God. Love for the world, Lord. Lord, energize this church with that same spirit you had, Lord. Bless everybody, Lord God, as they leave. Lord, make sure there's a right spirit within them, Lord God. Let this message be with the right spirit, Lord. Pray all these things, Lord, in your name. Everybody said.